everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace, along with a special guest and uh, a comic creator. And we're going to talk today uh, about a series and a couple, uh, actually a couple of series and an upcoming project from writer uh, David Boer. So uh, special guest Aspen, my daughter, is joining me once again. If you listen to our Canto episode we did uh, released a few days ago, and judging by the number of downloads, many of you are listening to it. So we're uh, we're glad that everybody's joined it, and we're very excited, Aspen especially, to welcome David to the show. So David, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm very excited to be here. I know we crossed paths at uh, LA Comic Con, right? Yeah, yeah. When we were cool, all allowed to leave the house for five minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we we had talked on social media so many times because. I love Canto. I knew my daughter loved it. So we really wanted to support it and spread the word and it, it blew up, which was great. So it was finally nice to, you know, meet in person, you know? Sure. Sure. Of course you come on the screen and we all had our masks on. So I didn't even recognize you Yeah, on, yeah. The, on the zoom right now. Yeah. hundred percent. So, uh, okay. Well let's talk a, a little Canto. As I said, we, uh, Aspen and I recently reviewed the, the a little first, Canto. <laughs> yeah. The first, the first volume. And we do, I'll put it on real quick for people that are watching us on YouTube. So for some reason, it's not showing Aspen when uh, I put the virtual background on, but I did, oh, she's, no, she's not. like, you're like a ghost, but we did. Just so uh, ethereal. Just, just, yeah. I love it. Just briefly, you can see here, she even drew Mary Cantomas uh, for Christmas. And I, I shared that with David and, and fantastic. So obviously she's a, she's a huge fan. So, so let's start there. It really was kind of the uh, the series that that put you on a map as a, a creator um, and you the third volume is currently coming out you've had some um, some sort of tangential series um, some one shots and whatnot so now that it's been out there in the world for a few years and it's been successful and and uh, do you have a, a different perspective on it did you always have faith in the project that it would be as successful as it is like how do you feel about it now with the perspective of uh, a few years behind you Oh, uh, you know, it's interesting. Those are two, uh, I, I sort of think about this thing separately. So when we first started out, uh, Drew Zucker, who's the artist and co-creator in Canto, we first started out, we believed in the character in the book so much that we were going to publish it, whether or not, it, whether it was IDW or another publisher, or if nobody picked it up and we were going to go uh, and self-publish, but we just believed in this story and this character so much. And I looked at the first designs and I just, I knew right off the bat, I thought, this is everything that I want in comics. And so I think there's a lot of people out there who also want that. So I was right on board with the uh, character designs. And we believed in it so strongly that um, come heck or high water, (laughs) we were going to publish it. So being on, uh, it came out in June of 2019. So we're, we're coming into... We're three years, mm-hmm. coming up on three years and sort of looking back on it. Um, you know, a huge, we were, we were so taken aback. We were so surprised by the success because nobody ever expects that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then a tiny part of me was, it was like relief because you just publish these things and you want them to be successful and you want people to love them as much as you love them. And it's sort of tiny part of me wasn't that surprised because I was so passionate about it that it didn't surprise me. A lot of people got on board. So I think the best part of being three years, almost three years since that time is being able to have the space and the opportunity and the support to tell the larger story that we want to tell. 
because like you said, we have the first volume of six issues. We have the second volume of five issues plus a one shot. We have a third volume that we're finishing up right now, which is another six issues. We have, we're going to have a, um, a collection of the mini series Canto in the City of Giants that we did this year. Plus coming down the pike, there's going to be a, a two issue Canto mini series that we're going to put all together into another volume. So that's four volumes already. And then Canto four of the larger story is coming out in the second half of this year. So getting the opportunity to put together basically five volumes of Canto when it started out as a little clockwork night going on a quest. It's really pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, and and if, I imagine you must have known pretty early on that you were going to get to tell more stories, right? Because it, it seemed to hit like almost before that first Wednesday, people, there was already a buzz, there were already people talking about it, right? Yeah, you know, it was, it was, it was a double-edged sword on that release day because that first printing of Canto of number one, uh, you couldn't find it anywhere. So a lot of the investors and speculators and collectors really were buying them up, which is wonderful for buzz, but it's, it's tough to get, get that story into people's hands if there's no copies available. Right. So um, yeah, it's the momentum really picked up right as soon as we were getting into that first release day. Um, and then I forgot what you had asked me. <laughs> no, just, just about how it, it, it was the, the buzz, like right, right from the start, it was yeah. a big hit. Oh, so we didn't really know. You never know. Buzz does not necessarily equal commercial success. Critical right. success doesn't necessarily equal commercial success, vice versa. So we didn't know until I think we started having the conversations a couple months after its first released, seeing that we were going into multiple printings. Um, our editor, you know, we, we started talking with our editor about what the future would be. But that said, we knew at least three story arcs and we ended up breaking it out into four story arcs, but we knew them when we were putting it all together. We knew where this broader story, we knew where that first volume was going to go. We knew where the broader story is going to end. It's very specific what we have in mind as to how this all wraps up. Well, that's, that's interesting to me because so often, um, you know, and again, it, the market can be so volatile and you never really know what's going to hit. And so creators will sort of build in, and ending at the first volume. So they think, well, if, if we don't get to continue, it'll be at least some sort of an ending. And Aspen and I were, were talking about this just the other day, right? Did you want to ask him about that ending of the... So I had a question. So in the six issues, at the very end, it wasn't like the most happy ending that it could have been. I was wondering why you decided to make him not find his like love's heart at the end well you know when you were reading it aspen did you expect that to happen i like had a little hunch but i really thought that he was gonna find them right and i feel when we were writing the story and putting it together we really felt like a lot of people like you who are reading it were going to expect that kanto was going to succeed on his quest that he's going to bring her heart back and it was going to be this big you know happy ending and then where would we go from there? And, you know, I always knew that I didn't, I always knew his quest was going to turn out differently than what he had hoped. Because one of the things I would like um, readers, especially readers like you, Aspen, to take from the story is that sometimes you set out to do something and you have a goal in your mind and you may not reach that goal. But by the end of your journey, 
to get there, you might find out that there was a greater goal that you were working toward anyway that you didn't know about. And by falling short on what you intended to do, you actually achieve something greater for yourself. And so what Cantor does in the story, he goes out in search of a heart. He doesn't, spoiler alert, he doesn't find the heart, but he comes back and he brought back hope to all of his people. So he may not have been able to save one, but he saved everybody else. And so that's something that I really wanted the story to, um, to I really wanted to bring across in the story. So I yeah. hope I hope you still felt good. You still felt hopeful at the end of the story for Kento and his people. And we're not done yet. Yeah, and there's a lot. You know, hope is obviously a big a big theme. And you know, we'll talk a little bit about more about that in a second because I, you know, it came out in 2019. 2020 comes and the world changes, and all of a sudden we all could use a little more hope. So I, I want to touch on that and, and if it affected the story or not. But the other thing uh, about the ending of issue six, and, and Aspen and I talked about this when we did our review recently, was when he meets the shrouded man, you know, it's that that similarity of journeys that the shrouded man's gone on this journey. Canto's gone on this journey. They both looked into the pool. They both saw their, their you know, bruised and battered reflections and they had the complete opposite reaction. You know, the shrouded man took that as, as giving up hope and, and to the point where he wants to remove the prison of hope, the jail of hope, you know, that other people, whereas Canto took it as it's just more of a reason to keep going and keep striving. And that really resonated with me. And, and I think I'll, it resonates with a lot of people. Uh, and that's why this is a great all ages book. You know, the older readers like myself who've gone, who've lived more life, had more experiences, gone through challenges, we can relate to that. And it's a great lesson for, for younger readers. So uh, when, the, when issue six dropped and it was somewhat of a surprise, like you were talking about, um, subverting people's expectations, did you get a, a really good reaction that, that people were thinking of it in those terms? Yeah, we did. And it was so satisfying to me because, you know, it's a risk not to, uh, you put put out the end, not to end a story the way there there might be an expectation that it would end, um, and it was very it was very um, uh, reassuring when everybody was reading it and we got really good reviews for that issue six. We got good reviews throughout, but issue six really seemed to resonate with folks because I don't think they saw that ending coming. They didn't think he was going to fail when he got to the top of the Emerald Tower but we still were able to end it on a hopeful note and still keep that theme of hope going. And I think people really, readers really appreciated that idea that it wasn't, it was unexpected, but they, they didn't expect what happened in the story, but they expected how they felt about it. So we, we gave them the emotional reaction that I think everybody was building toward, but in a way, in a different way, how we ended the story if that makes if that makes sense no it does and emotional expectations even if the story expectations we threw out the window right well the other aspect of it was and again part of this goes to how successful it was so i think everybody knew there'd be more coming it 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 just left the door wide open to know that there was still more of canto's story to tell and obviously drew and you had the great desire that you know, it sounds like even if it hadn't been that successful at IDW, you guys probably would have just continued self-publishing it. Yeah, I think so. I think we would have, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? And if it wouldn't have been successful, it would have been a, a lot of soul searching as to what to do from there. But I think we would have continued. We would have pursued the story. Uh, 
I, I just feel so fortunate that we they, we don't never had to cross that bridge. That right. our our the the readers for Canto keep coming back, and they keep we the feedback that we get is they keep feeling satisfied with what we're doing with the story. So it, I we we try to I try to subvert some expectations and do things that people don't you don't necessarily think see coming. And I think that's been working for us really well. In fact, this latest, the, the Canto 3 Lionhearted, it's Drew and I have been really enjoying the story arc and it's three, um, three issues in, or uh, four, three volumes in, four issues in. And this issue number four that just came out, people were, readers really responded to it, responded to it in a very visceral, positive way. And I thought after, I think that was, issue number 19 or something in the series mm -hmm. and to be able to do that after 19 issues i just I, I don't it's a little alchemy at this point it's taking pen and paper <laughs> and typing and somehow spinning stories out of it yeah light, lightning in a bottle and it shows how just how how much canto has, has sort of outgrown the the original creation that you and drew like he kind of has a life of his own now and, and the, the community around it, you know, contributes, contributes to that. So, uh, but we mentioned before about this idea of, of hope and it being a big theme throughout the story. And obviously with 2020 and the continue, here we are, 2022 pandemic still lurching along. Um, has it made it more challenging to tell a story of hope? Do you, do you feel like it's, it's made it even more important? Has it changed the story at all? Uh, have you felt like pushing the boundaries of, of hope and, and and bringing anything in from real life experiences or, or anything like that. Um, I think I've, I, it's. I think now I've sort of internalized the idea of hope after the last couple of years, so I'm able to channel my own, you know, psych, psychological and emotional response to what's happening in the real world, and sort of channel that into the choices that we make when we're telling Kinto's story. Um, like I said, a lot of the story was set back in 2019 before we had any of this, but it just became more poignant. Loss became a lot more poignant in Canto 2. There's, uh, you know, not, not, we wanted to have a story where not, the characters aren't necessarily safe. So, you know, there's loss. We confront that head on. And I think that Brink has a, new, has a different dimension to it after, you know, losing so many people over the last couple of years. Uh, so, I, I think the story is continuing on the path that we had hoped it would, would go on before the pandemic and everything, but uh, kind of the emotion that you see on the page and psychological reaction to a lot of the characters about adversity and hope and clinging to that is something that um, has an added, added layer since, uh, you know, the adversity that we've all faced for the last two years. Yeah. Like I said, we could all use a little more stories of hope, you know, and the, the stories of, this, you know, he's an inspiring character, you know, he's this little clockwork, you know, creature. And, you know, he has a lot to teach us about courage and, and bravery and, and whatnot. Uh, did you want to ask a question about uh, actually making the comic, Aspen? Yeah. So when you were making it, during the process, did you ever think about, like, how you were going to continue it and how you were going to continue his quests? 
So we did. So when when I first when we first uh, put together the idea for Canto, we had a pretty clear idea of what that first volume was going to look like. We had every issue sort of mapped out. Here's the big idea of what this issue is going to be about, and this is where we're going to end. And so the next issue will go on. You know, in the in um, chapter two, we know we knew Canto was going to start on his quest outside of our ken, outside the walls. So we knew he's going to be in the for in the scary forest all by himself, and we knew that he was going to have to pick up a friend if he was going to keep moving going on, and he did. So we had that pretty well mapped out, and then beyond these this first volume, we ended up we had I big ideas about the second. Do you know anything about his second quest, Canto uh, two, Holloman? I'm still in the process of reading it. Okay, so, but you you have the basic idea of what is happening, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, we came up the, with the idea that we wanted to play with time and what happens if you run out, you're running out of time. And so we had that idea early on. And then once we were ready to make Canto II, The Hollow Men, we started adding to that story and figuring out where he's going to end in each chapter and what's the next step of his journey and that sort of thing. And the same thing happened with Lionhearted, Canto 3, and then Canto 4, which is going to come out this fall, called uh, A Place Like Home. We knew what was going to happen in Canto 3 and what Canto was going to have to do to get ready for the big finale in Canto 4, where he's going to have to sort of finish the task that he started out with in Canto One, but it's taken him all this time to get to the point where he can now, maybe this time if he goes up to the Emerald Tower, maybe instead of not having their hearts there, maybe he's found a way to save his people and save his beloved. We don't know. Yeah, we'll I, mean, I, I know. I'm not telling you. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to. Yeah, we'll definitely have to read. But yeah, I'm. I've been. Not pushing Eric, busy with dance and school and everything, but yeah, it's like her, you need to finish volume two, so because we need to do a review on on volume two as well, uh, because yeah, I think that the the idea of hope and the journey that Canto go to me, he only becomes more inspiring as the story goes on. And so I want to talk a little bit about process between you and Drew. You know, you mentioned like it, I think it's right in the first issue. Uh, there's a quote from uh, the creator of The Wizard of Oz, you know, Frank L. Baum. Mm -hmm. uh, about you know creating a world and creating fairy tale and, and creating story and I'm a big believer that you can tell a lot about a society and, and their sort of what's important to them by the the fictions that they create the stories that they that they create uh, and I think what you and Drew have done here is create a, a world that does you know focus on themes of hope and bravery and it has a lot to teach us uh, of of all ages you know I keep going back to that idea that there's so much there for for older readers uh, as well did how did the, the like seeing it come to life the first six issues the first volume did that change at all your your creative process between you and drew how you collaborated did it inspire you to go bigger um or or like you said did you already have an idea okay we know what the bones of the story are and we know how we're going to lay everything down or, or did you leave room to have things kind of grow organically we did we left we left a lot of space to grow organically like you know i say we have we had um you know story mapped out it's literally the entirety of volume two is maybe a paragraph mm. i knew what the obstacle was, was going to be and what we were where we were going to go with it um you know where it was going to end uh for that volume so in that 
we had lots of opportunities and we still find opportunities to add new characters, to add new creatures, to expand the world. I'm working on um, you know, scripts right now for, for what's coming in 2022. And I found so many great opportunities to sort of poke around in the unnamed world and see these corners that we've never seen before, these creatures that we've never seen before, these, you know, inhabitants. Uh, so we give ourselves lots of space to grow like that. And as far as the creative process from the very beginning, Drew and I were really closely co collaborating. We got into rhythm and now we, we speak almost every single day as he's working on art, I'm working on scripts. Um, we, it's, it's, such a, it's such a fluid, processes as we try to hit these deadlines and get the get get the books out that i i do th i think we surprise we surprise ourselves and we surprise each other uh with things that we come up with i'll come up with something on the on the script page and drew will get it and he'll draw something and it, i would never have thought of that and it turns out to be the best approach to whatever we were doing and that's because i think we're both a little bit in each other's heads and, and, you know, it's a great team when um, you are collaborating so closely that, that you kind of can complete each other's tasks. Yeah. It kind of gets the storytelling. Yeah. It gets to be like shorthand, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did you have a question about uh, creating Aspen? Yeah. So I have a question. What was some of your favorite stuff during the making of it? Like what was some of your favorite art pieces that you had in the story? There was a one opening. Let me see if I can find it. There was one opening. Uh, I don't know if I can find it, but there was uh, at the end of issue one, when you turn the page and Kent is going on his journey, and you see him standing there and he's looking out to the unnamed world in a place he's never known and nobody ever, he doesn't know what's out there, but he's gonna go find out. Uh, that, that's, that was a wonderful moment for me because it was that call to adventure for him that I'm gonna risk it all. I don't know what I'm gonna face. I'm a tiny little clockwork knight, yeah, but it. I am going to do it. Yep, that's the one, that's the one. And you can see, Drew's perspective on it is so wonderful because he did that point of view from behind. You can see how small Kanto is, but if you if you think about it, he's this tiny little creature in this very big world, but the perspective in that particular page is he's actually big. He looks big, and it's conveying the idea that he is big enough, both you know, inside to face whatever adversity is out there in that great big world and sometimes you know we play with perspective where he's tiny when you see him meet the kraken in issue three you see how tiny he is next to this huge kraken right well we did that because we wanted to show how intimidating and intimidated this little guy is when he's facing these giant creatures but then we start playing with perspective and sometimes you see that he's really big in the foreground and whatever like when he's approaching the city of giants, you see the giants in the far distance and the way the perspective is, Kanto and the giants both look like they're the same height. And as he gets closer, of course, it gets scarier and the giants get bigger. But that idea being that he doesn't see himself as much smaller or unmatched to these giant creatures that he will encounter in his world. And that's something specific we did um, when we were doing, you know, when Drew was laying out the pages.
Yeah, that's that's fantastic. It's great to get the, the nuts and bolts behind it. Do you, do you prefer the world building or do you prefer the character work or does it depend on <laughs> the day? It's it's all character work. I I am I've said it mo- many times, and I am not. I I'm a fan of world building. I love Lord of the Rings, and we just watched the we just watched all three Lord of the Rings movies over the over the holiday break, and I've seen them so many times. And I was again struck by the way that they open, which is there's the story of the ring and it gives you ever you know the history of the ring there's not that much world building in there but when you really connect with the hobbits is when you're in the shire mm-hmm. and you see them just living their lives and that is not to me the only world building that happens is in the tiny little shire and that's all we need when i approached canto i did not want to put world building a lot of world building out front i do not want to like tell some big story about this is the lore of the world and here's all the different creatures and you know people and inhabitants all this stuff all i wanted was to laser focus on a character who himself knew nothing about the world so we have this beautiful setup we have this little character who has to go on a quest and as he learns about the world the reader does too mm-hmm. so we created a scenario where i don't we didn't have to give really any world building out of the gate just what Canto, where Canto is, who his people are, what their circumstances are, and what his quest has to be. And beyond that, we will just sprinkle in the world building as we go. And you can see how it sort of unfolds and continues to unfold as he goes along in these later volumes and in the later issues. Well, I think part of the reason it works so well that you kind of chose to take that path is because you have a brilliant artist in in Drew who, even more than, than establishing the world, that Canto is living in, he, he establishes the mood and the tone of the story, the emotional tone of the story so well. Uh, and, and especially the color work as well. You know, there's times where the colors get dark and it, things are more menacing, like when he faces the Kraken, being inside the Kraken and whatnot. So I, I, you know, we can't, I don't think we could say enough about Drew's incredible artwork on the series. Yeah. And the details he chooses, he chooses to, to throw in there. And, uh, just things that I don't write into the script, but mm-hmm. Drew sort of lives in the unnamed world. So he knows, he knows what, uh, he knows what to do and he knows where to put, put those details. And I, I'll also say big kudos to Vittorio Stone, who is our, uh, the colorist mm-hmm. on Canto and the textures and the color palettes that he chooses for different scenes. It just, just, enhanced everything it fit and it made better everything that we are doing storytelling drew and i so um we you know we were so we're so thrilled to have him on board because he he understood he lives in this world just the way we do and he understands with texture and color palette the 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 mood and the feel and the tone that we want to convey well, well did you have a question about the community or yes yeah, so I so as a younger reader, I was very excited to read this and I loved it. Um, but I was wondering, like, with like some of your youngest people that you've met, like the youngest kids, and they've read it or they've read it with their parents, and what their reaction was, and also their reaction to meeting you or at least seeing you. <laughs> well, you know. 
Aspen, unfortunately, I haven't had a lot of face-to-face interaction with a lot of kids because of, you know, we're all sort of stuck at home for the last couple of years. But I have had some. And younger readers, it's very funny because we call it all ages because, as, as your dad said, it's about there's things that adults can get out of the story and there's things that kids can get out of the story. And one of the youngest readers that I, I know has read Canto and, and liked Canto, I asked her specifically, we, we read a, an issue together and I asked her specifically what, at the end of the issue, so what, what, what happened to Canto and what's going to happen now? And she just told me, you know, th- this is what, ha- I can't remember exactly what issue was, but this is what happened to him. And this is what I think it's going to happen. And she was exactly right. She was exactly right. So she got what the story was. Is she going to know about all the themes of hope and loss and courage? You'll get a little bit of that. But as long as a young reader, you know, you, you follow the story and then your parents can pick up on all these other themes and everything that we put in there. We've done our jobs because that means everybody likes it. Everybody is enjoying it. So that's been really exciting to see parents and their kids ha- have these reactions um, to the to the story about different parts of the story and still enjoy it as as much as they can. Yeah, and be able to experience it together. Uh, so as I, I mean, like you mentioned, I haven't been able to have a lot of in person, but uh, is is that your favorite interaction? Do you do you have any other really great fun stories? Whether somebody reaching out online or or what have you? Yeah, I've got a couple of. Um, I've had a couple of anecdotes that were really personal. I feel very, I I feel very fortunate because we've gotten a couple of messages where, uh, you know, people who share very um, personal details about the the both the two that I'm thinking of are about health and health struggles. Mm. And what they ended up taking from the story is that Canto, you know, their hearts, their hearts are gone and, you know, they face this adversity, they have clocks and, you know, they have a limited amount of time and it's about what you do with it. And these readers reached out and they said, you know, we have the, you know, I have this health challenge, I have this health challenge. And this really gave me a perspective about how to live life with a limitation. Um, Even if you know that your time might be shorter than other people's, how to, how to, how to live life and embrace courage and embrace hope. Um, even though that's that's your that's your reality that's that's what you face, and to to have this little fantasy book put in terms of real health, you know, challenges is really remarkable. And then to just even to the the most basic level to write a book where people feel so inspired that they will share that personal information with you, me who is a perf- is a complete stranger to them other than writing this book. Um, but to, to, to inspire them to share those very personal stories, I think is a very, uh, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful, it's just, just a wonderful thing. It's wonderful. Yeah, it really is. And, and it's a great story. So, uh, well, I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, Killer Queens, your, your project from Dark Horse and then Rain that you have coming up from Image, but we'll give you uh Aspen, if you have any other Canto questions. I have one thing that I'd like to say about it is that I like in the beginning where like it says all who did it is that 
in case like it's been a while since you read like the first issues that you don't want to and you don't like not if you don't want to but if you don't have time to go back i like how they have like the preview of like the, what's mm, happened the recap mm-hmm, the recap of it we call that the previously on previously <laughs> on <laughs> yeah we did that we do that on purpose because we know that there's some time between uh you know when when you're reading maybe the first volume and the second volume so we want everybody who has taken some time off in between and also it gets published with gaps so we really like to to keep everybody up to speed eventually we'll have five volumes out and hopefully you know they all get collected to some big big hardcover book that's the size of a coffee table right um we you know we'd love that and you could just sit down and binge that and go through all of them but you know until that happens i think those recaps um i'm glad you say that because we really hope they're helpful and it seems like they are so thank you yeah they definitely definitely are uh well anything else that you want to add david about canto before we uh move on uh i haven't had my moment yet but um the the one moment that i'm really looking forward to is when we all get to go back into conventions and if ever there is a there is a kid five six seven year old who runs up in little cardboard armor Mm. dressed as canto you'll see a grown man cry (laughs) it'll happen trust me Justin. yeah another one of her favorite books is um Jupiter Jet from Jason. Oh, Jason and Ashley. Yeah, Yeah. and Aspen was the first person to ever cosplay as Jupiter Jet. (gasps) What? At uh, at Phoenix Comic Con. And Jason and Ashley were friends of mine, and I didn't tell them that that Aspen loved the story and was going to cosplay. And so we just went up and surprised them. And they, yeah, they were were over the moon. So I look forward forward to that for you, that moment. (laughs) Well, Jupiter Jet is another wonderful all-ages book. And I think I stepped on you when you said um, it's by Jason Inman and Ashley Robinson, Robinson, who are good friends of mine. And they, pre-pandemic, their Geek History Lesson podcast, I was a a guest on there to talk about Dark Crystal, the TV show on Netflix. Oh, wow. So... uh, yeah, and Jupiter Jet is one of my favorites. So yeah, it's it's fantastic. Uh, well, I don't know much about uh, your title that's coming out from from Dark Horse, um, Killer Queens. All I know is it it puts the sass back in assassins. I'm told. So uh, <laughs> the yeah. tagline is assassin is <laughs> putting the sass in assassin. So we brought together an LGBTQ creative team. Um, everybody, me, artists, colorists, letter. Uh, and we put together a story that's a big sci-fi romp that I like to call Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> so, so it's a lot of fun representation. It's very tongue-in-cheek. I compare it to things like Rick, Rick and Morty and Archer, um, just fun comedy. And uh, it was f- four issues. All four issues are out. Um, the trade is coming out in uh, March, so you can catch up on with it there. Uh, and I think there's going to be some news coming down the pike in, in 2022. But basically, the story is about two intergalactic assassins who are on the run from their former boss, uh, who is a fluffy monkey with a jetpack. And they have decided to quit the life of being assassins, and they take their first non-assassination job, which takes them to a planet that is ruled by a fascist dictator. And of course, they have to, uh, they have to rescue two kidnapped uh, people from the free side of this planet and they have a great plan of course immediately nothing goes according to plan and they end up getting caught up in this whole 
a rebellion to overthrow the tyrant of this planet. And it's all laser fights and punchlines and um, hijinks ensue. Cool. Now, is it something I can share with, with Aspen? What's the kind of the age, the target age? I, I mean, it's, there's, there's, there's no swears. There's no explicit anything. So it's good. It's about, it's about um, Guardians of the Galaxy speed, I would say. Gotcha. So, so you dig that? Aspen, you dig that? A couple more years, maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, who's your uh, collaborative artist on the, on the title? Uh, the artist is Claudio Balboni. The colorist is Harry Saxon. And uh, the letterer is Lucas Gattoni. So when you, was this something, uh, was this a concept that you had uh, on your own or was it, did you develop it along, uh, along with them or did you bring them like kind of go out on, on a search to put the team together? I, I had the idea um, and I brought the whole team together specifically wanting to make an LGBTQ team. Um, yeah. And I've had this idea for several years and I always wanted to do a uh, series that had a lot of that was that was representative of my personal experience Mm -hmm. which is that's it's not being a reformed assassin in space right (laughs) (laughs) so so i always wanted to put out a uh to, to put out a series that really um you know put that representation in the forefront and i think we really succeeded with this uh readers i i i had it's another moment that you just have these moments sometimes and they just stay with you. I was at LA Comic-Con and uh, this kind of shy person came up to the table, a young, young, te- like late teens uh, and, and bought all of the Killer Queens. And I think they had read the first issue and just really liked it. And, you know, was really happy to have that kind of, to see themselves sort of reflected a little bit in the series. And then the next day, a man comes up to the table and he says, I just want to thank you for making killer Queens. And I say, okay, thank you very much. And he said, I don't, I don't identify as LGBTQ, but I'm really enjoying the story just as the space hijinks. And then he told me his, his son came up to the table the previous day and um, had just come out to his family and, he, and the father came and he said, I just want to thank you for doing this because this gave me and my son a series that we could really enjoy together, um, you know, with this, this, this new sort of change in their family. And it's just like, you know, that's why, that's, that's why I wanted to do it. That's why I wanted to do it. It's what I wanted when I was 16 years old. So it just makes me happy that if I've just helped that one person with this sci-fi romp then i you know i'm satisfied yeah it it makes it worth it i mean i mean obviously i i you know i'm a heterosexual i married you know have have children what have you i never had to to worry about that aspect right like there were always plenty of you know straight white superheroes for for me to to read about (laughs) in 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 comics right right um and it's (laughs) And I'm glad that it's changing now. I feel like we're in a golden age in terms of quality of story and also diversity of story. Uh, And I I still feel like there's a, you know, a ways to go. There's still a a huge segment of the population that hear comics and they think superheroes. Right. And it's so much, it's so much more than that, but it sounds like 
you know, with, with Canto going all ages with, uh, with Killer Queens and, and representing the uh, LGBTQ community, representation is very important to you as a, as a creator with the stories that you're, you're creating. Is it, is it something that you not necessarily have a checklist? I want to write a story that represents this or represents that or what have you, but is it always, it seems like it's a part of your creative DNA to, to make sure that that's part of the stories that you create. Uh, yeah, you know, that I, I think about, you know, doing Canto and then Killer Queens, it's very, you know, it's two totally different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one through line of all these is I just want to tell stories that I love and I'm passionate about telling. And I loved Canto from the moment that we, we created it. I loved Killer Queens from the moment that I came up with the idea for this, these two goofball characters. Um, We'll talk about rain and, you know, I'm writing Firefly and all of those things. I have such a deep love for every one of those stories. That's why I wanted to do them. And the representation aspect of of Killer Queens and the All Ages aspect. Canto is something that I would have wanted when I was a kid. Killer Queens is something that I would have wanted when I was a teenager. Um, you know, I'm, I'm getting to tell the Firefly story that I would have loved to tell if I was working on the TV show way back in the, you know, in early 2000s. It's just, it's having a passion for the stories, uh, that kind of representation, that kind of, you know, desire to, to, to pursue these kind of, um, these kind of uh, characteristics for these different stories. It'll just come through, I think. It's just kind of a natural extension of wanting to tell these stories. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't aware that you were writing Firefly, and in, in a way, and of course, we all know, we all know the, uh, the kind of the infamous story about Fox canceling it probably probably too soon. In a way, it was a little ahead of its time in terms of you know diversity as well, and some of the things that it um, that it dealt with in the story. So, what publisher um, is it with, and how did you get involved with that project? Well, it's with Boom Studios, which publishes um, Firefly, and I'll pull this one down for you. Um, so. Uh, the backstory is this was a one shot that I wrote for Boom, came out in September called Firefly River Run. And it was an oversized single issue. Um, but an editor I knew at IDW moved to Boom. And I reached out to her and I said, hey, you know, let's chat. I'm a big Firefly fan. And she happened to be handling Firefly. So uh, the opportunity came up to do this one shot. And so I, I had a great time telling the story about, are you a Firefly fan? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, so river river run tells the story in the, in the pilot episode, um, Simon talks about how uh, when they reveal river in the cryo crate, uh, Simon talks about how he got her off of um, Osiris and out of the Academy. Well, river run is the, the comic storytelling of how he, orchestrated that on Osiris mm. and it was a great opportunity it's it's you know to fill in a gap in the storytelling of Firefly that had not been told except for Simon's one minute monologue yeah like a foundational gap really yeah it's like well how did River get on the get on Serenity uh and so th- we enjoyed working together boom and my editor and, and and I, we enjoyed working together so much. The opportunity came up for the ongoing firefly series. And they asked me if I wanted to come on to do a longer, larger story in the continuity that exists in the comics. And of course I said, yes, I leapt at it. 
So starting in February, they're actually uh, ending the current ongoing issue 36 in January. And in February, it's going to be starting with all new Firefly number one, which is still in the continuity of where the comic's leaving off. But it's a new story that I'm telling over the course of um, 10 issues plus, plus a, a special uh, to, to wrap the story, the, the story arcs up. Now, does it, so, does it feel a little different? Is it, is it more challenging, you know, something like Canto or Killer Queens? You've, you've created the whole world. You've created the whole universe. There's, there's not really any parameters. You can do whatever you want. With, with Firefly, it's an established property. Uh, and, and obviously, there's value there. So, you know, sky's not the limit. You can't just, you know, go killing off characters, uh, you know, for example, not that you would. Um, but it's a little more challenging to, to work within the framework of a world that someone else created. Uh, Firefly has been great because we've get, we've, we have a lot of freedom to kind of, because the show was on so long ago that, right. uh, you know, Fox and, and Disney kind of uh, sort of let it live, have its own life in mm-hmm. the comics. So the idea that I came up with and the outline that I sent over to them was pretty much, you know, kind of, I just wanted to do, this is the story that I wanted to tell. Now, when you get down to the pages and the characters and the interactions and those sorts of things, you know, my editors are the ones who are, are watching to make sure that they feel authentic to the characters. Gotcha. But um, I, I love the show so much that I've internalized <laughs> yeah, yeah. all these characters are, how they talk, how they react, how they think. And so I can put one of the greatest, one of the most fun things about this whole Firefly project is getting to put, I get to, there's like nine of them, nine characters. And I get to pick, oh, I want this one and this one in a room together. And I want this one and this one and this one to interact here. And, you know, this one's going to make fun of this one and they're going to have, you know, a tiff. And that's because that's who they are and they never get along. And, uh, you know, those sorts of things where I get to be the one who makes that up as we go. And that's like, that's like, you know, checklist career checklist level things to get to do those so yeah that's uh that's fantastic and, and from there you know we mentioned uh you're working on joe hill's reign which you want to talk about the furthest thing from <laughs> from canto we're talking <laughs> you know horror and horror. terrible things falling from the sky so why don't you uh, let everybody know kind of what the elevator pitch is uh and and let us know how you got involved with that project uh, Rain is a co- five-issue comic adaptation of a Joe Hill short uh, novella from his 2017 collection called Strange Weather, and it's about um, Honeysuckle Speck, who is um, who, whose girlfriend uh, Yolanda is moving into her apartment in Boulder in the middle of August. Beautiful day. They're about to start their lives together, and everything seems to be great. And then the dark clouds roll in over Boulder and then the sky opens up. But instead of water raining down, it rains down crystal needles about the size of your thumb. And about um, 8,000 people die across all of Boulder over the course of eight minutes. And um, Honeysuckle faces loss in, the, in, in this uh, you know, apocalyptic deluge. And as the crystal rain starts spreading, she ends up having to go on the road to make sure the only person that she cares about is still alive in Denver, 30 miles away. So it's a, it's a, it's a love story. It's a survival story and it's apocalyptic story. Um, and it's uh, very exciting. 
And I mean, I know Joe's a big fan of comics. Did he want to see this adapted? Did somebody from Image, uh, like how did the project come about? Do you know? Well, you know, it goes back to being, telling the stories you're passionate about telling, right? So I read the story from the, the collection. And I just thought this has to be something else, you know, comic, movie, something. Mm-hmm. And I um, am friends. Chris Ryle is the one who's the editor on it. Mm-hmm. And I got to know him when he was at IDW. And I know he's good friends with Joe. And so I approached him and I said, do you think there's a possibility that this, you know, for an adaptation for comics? And Joe's usually pretty, um, pretty, uh, uh, hesitant when it comes to adaptations he mm-hmm. you know we all just kind of like to have our own material um but he joe read canto and he likes canto and he read the pitch that i had the take on adapting rain to a comic and uh we all got together me chris and joe and we just decided this was the right fit and then zoe thorogood who is the artist on rain absolute rising star wonderful talented artist who's got a lot she has a very bright future ahead of her she um we got her on board and we just thought this is this is it this is the perfect storm no pun intended well pun intended (laughs) um yeah and and so that's how it came together but it would not exist if i had not pushed to adapt this story to comics because I loved the story so, so much. Just loved it. And I love Joe's work. You can see some of the, I've got his stuff behind me. Um, and, I've, and I've admired him for a very long time. So, so again, it's a bucket list, checklist, career checklist kind of thing to be able to work so closely with somebody you admire so much to adapt one of their uh, stories into something that they can be proud of as well as I can be proud of. Yeah, and I, have, I haven't read it, but it sounds like a very uh, heavily emotional story. So I'm, I'm really curious to, to see your take on so- something like that. And like you said, uh, with Zoe, you know, Impending Blindness of Billy Scott, which is, a, you know, her uh, OGN, which is a fantastic story, recommended to anybody to, uh, to read. Totally. If, yeah, even if you're like, I'm not a comic book person, it, it's, if you like stories <laughs> uh, and, and emotional stories and, and kind of weighty matters to, to think about after you've finished reading something. I definitely recommend it. And, and I imagine that there's going to be a lot of that uh, emotionality in the art of rain from her, but also probably from the, the narrative that you're adapting. Yeah. You know, it's about, it's about love and it's about loss and it's about how we, how we um, carry, carry loss with us as we move forward in life. Um, and I was reading a review of rain of this issue. Number one, and it was really, it struck me because I always thought of it as a love story set during an apocalypse um, and not an apocalyptic story, not an apocalypse that happens to have a love story in it. Um, and this one review was saying, you know, it could be kind of B-movie schlock to have Crystal Rain come down. And, you know, it could just be ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. But the way into the story is not the calamity. It's the relationship between these two women and sort of how you, you know, in in love and in how you hold on to those things no matter what happens around you and i think it really grounds it in a in a very relatable story even as the sky is raining down crystal nails and killing everybody in sight 
Yeah, fantastic. I can't, I can't wait to read it. And uh, everybody, just so you know, it comes out next Wednesday, uh, January 12th, will be the, the first issue. And how many issues is it going to be total, David? Is it three or four? It's going to be five. Five issues. Five issues. Okay. Yeah. So it's going to be monthly for five issues. And then later on this year, we're going to have a hardcover that will come out. And there's lots of cool covers that I just posted on my on my socials today. So um, we're really going all out. And it's my first image book, which is kind of kind of neat. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, David, it's been great chatting with you. Thanks so much for, for taking the time. We love Canto. Uh, like I said, uh, the, the review that we put up for, uh, for volume one has been getting tons of downloads. Can't wait till we uh, ask when I get a chance to uh, review the, the subsequent volumes and, and share our love uh, of Canto with everybody. Mild spoilers, everybody, in those reviews, but we definitely don't cover everything. And, and you, you owe it to yourselves uh, to go and pick up these volumes of this fantastic story. It makes a great bedtime story. I'm always pushing those, uh, you know, great way to get younger readers to read something you can read with your children uh, and share with them because it really is for, for all ages. So definitely uh, encourage you all to do that. So uh, as we're winding up here, David, you mentioned your social media. Where's the best place to, for people to follow along uh, with you online, know when you have new things coming out or if they want to ask questions, that sort of thing? Sure. On Twitter, I'm at David Boer. On, on Instagram, I'm at David M. Boer. I'm on Facebook, if that's if that's uh, your cup of tea. And uh, I my website is davidboer.com. And I am available on all of those platforms for any questions or um, comments. Yeah. Uh, I will be posting about new um, projects that are coming down the pike. There's a couple more that will be announced soon. And I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm excited about, we didn't even touch on the Canto movie that's coming down the pike. So hopefully we'll have some news on that in short order. And in the meantime, pick up Canto 1, if I only had a heart, Canto 2, The Hollow Men, and look for later this year, Canto 3, Lionhearted, wherever books are sold. Yeah, I, I debated on whether I wanted to touch on the movie, but I figured you probably couldn't say much about it. But I will definitely be reaching out when you can talk about it. Sure. Uh, cause yeah, that, that, I mean, yeah, I, I can't wait to see, I can't, something I look forward to, you know, ask when I will be there opening night for sure, uh, to go and to go and check Me it too. out. So, <laughs> Me too. Yeah it'll, be, yeah. it'll be fantastic. So, uh, I'll put links to David's social media in the show notes, as well as a link to his website, everybody, as always. So if you're having trouble finding him, you can go and click there. Uh, we really appreciate everybody joining us as always. Don't forget to let your retailer know. Uh, that you to put aside a copy. I mean, final order cutoff has already passed, but don't forget that the first issue of Rain hits next Wednesday. Uh, pick it up, check it out, and let them know to, to order you subsequent copies so you don't miss out. So uh, again, we appreciate everybody's support. Don't forget about our Spawn Daily throughout the uh, year of 2022, year of the Spawn, covering uh, an issue of Spawn every day because we're just that insane. So uh, again, we thank David for joining us. We really appreciate the time. And we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter. 
twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.